0: Welcome to the Overcome podcast sponsored by kingspeakrealty.com. I'm Ryan Thurgood. You may have been in a trial in the past or you may be going through one right now. Trials are in everyone's life, but no matter how you feel today, you are never alone. Somewhere someone has and probably is going through a similar trial. Overcome is the collaboration of all of us together. No matter where you've been, what you've done, or what you're going through, you're here today all that stands between now and greatness is you trials mold your legacy trials will give you the greatest opportunities and the greatest stories we are on this journey together this is overcome and it can be the story of you welcome to another episode of overcome the story of you i'm here today with dr tracy stevens he says it's not that kind of a doctor right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> We're down here in St. George this week. Dr. Tracy Stevens is from Tokerville, Utah. We're going to talk a little bit about some of his life experiences and things that he's learned today. First of all, where are you from, Tracy?
1: Ryan, I'm from Tokerville, Utah. I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada.
0: And you lived there until 20-ish? I,
1: yeah, I lived in Las Vegas until just after I was married, uh, age 20. My wife was pregnant with her first child, and we wanted to move back to Southern Utah where our families are from.
0: So that was your first child. Correct. And you had a couple after that. How many did you have?
1: Um, if seven's considered a couple, yes. <laughs> we, we have seven children.
0: Seven children. You were telling me about how you met your wife. Tell me, let's talk a little <laughs> bit about that.
1: Well, my wife prefers I don't talk about that since we met at a family reunion of mine. <laughs> and it's always a great party conversation for us, but we are not related, just for the record. She points that out really quickly. But she was really good friends with one of my um, female cousins, and we met on Kolob Mountain at a family reunion of mine.
0: How old were you?
1: Well, I was 12 or 13, right in there, and she's about one year older than I am.
0: So you're telling me that that wasn't the end of it, though. You, you met her when you were 12 or 13, and then you continued to see her through the years.
1: Yeah, that's right. I, I tell her I fell in love at first sight, and I knew I was going to marry her. And I told all my friends for the next seven, eight years that that's what was going to happen. But yeah, I would come up and visit my, my grandmothers. Uh, both lived in Laverick in different, different houses, and I was able to see her any time during that. And then we'd talk on the phone for hours throughout all those years together.
0: So did you always initiate the calls, or did she call you?
1: No, she, she's a little fickle sometimes and had a lot of boyfriends, and, but in between those boyfriends, she was able to call me. She'll be pretty upset that I say that, but it is true, and she knows it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't just you chasing her. She was chasing you as well. She
1: did, absolutely.
0: Well, that's awesome. So I guess I should start by saying that we met each other when I was filming you at your charter school. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do there?
1: Yeah, I'm the executive director at Valley Academy Charter School. It's a free public school, uh, K-8 in Hurricane, Utah.
0: And how long have you been there?
1: This is my fifth year at that school.
0: And how old is the school? It's fairly new.
1: It is the 11th year finishing up here.
0: So you have some really cool things that most schools don't have. Kids don't always ride the bus to school, I
1: learned. No, they don't. They... uh, those that have enrolled in an elective class and choose horsemanship, they were able to ride the horses to school on Thursday. And we had them in Laverkin, they crossed the Laverkin Hurkin Bridge, you know, with traffic and everything. And they, they'd ride their horses to school and pin them up and go to school and then take them home or leave them in the corral in the, at the school.
0: So anybody that wants to come down to the St. George area and ride a horse to school, <laughs> Tracy's got a place for you. You
1: come see us. <laughs>
0: Well, when we were down here talking, we were talking about life experiences, and you've had a whole bunch of life experiences. You're telling me about how many accidents you've had. How many scars?
1: Well, I, I really don't know, but it's in the dozens for sure that I've had stitched up and scars. And hey, chicks love scars, and so it, was, it helped me with my wife, Rebecca.
0: <laughs> you are able to get married. That's because right. of the scars? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Those are well, great stories.
0: How many scars did you have before you got married versus how many after?
1: No, Rebecca calmed me right down. She, She's my, uh, definitely my rock to keep me slowing things down. But no, ever since, even as a two-year-old, getting stitches and being ran over by my dad, and dragged me down the road and uh, things like that to put me in the hospital. I even stressed my mother out enough to where she, I think she became superstitious and wouldn't even hold my birthday on the 13th, which I'm born on October 13th. So she'd hold off just so she didn't have to take me to the hospital on my birthday. <laughs>
0: well, you can't just say that your dad dragged you down the street with the car. you got to expand a little bit
1: on that. Right, yeah. I You know, as a young kid, I mean, I think I was 18 months to two, 24 months is what my mom was telling me. And we had a guy in our backyard in Las Vegas that was stealing stuff. And we, I guess my dad saw him jumping over the fence and throwing car parts or whatever it was he was interested in and so he was gonna drive around the block really quick and see if he could stop the guy and I was playing behind the car and he backed out of a long driveway and then headed down the road and from what I'm told I was lucky not to get caught up in the drive line, but somehow I was being drugged and shot me out and I I'm here to live talk and to tell about it <laughs>
0: wow well yeah you started young then that's yeah that's incredible <clears throat>
1: Well, give us some other... Well, um, my students, because I'm an educator, and my students' favorite story was how I told them that my brother liked to pick on me, and he was a bully, and um, I love him to death. And he, uh, I'd say we, sitting in a house that we, my dad was framing at the time, it was still under construction, so everything's open rafters, and we were having lunch in front of a a fireplace and my oldest brother, Tony said, there's a hand coming down the chimney, run, you know, and we were all excited and run. And so my oldest brother heads up the ladders and then my next brother, oldest brother's Troy, and he headed up the ladder. And so of course I'm going to follow, I'm pretty young. And I get to the top and I see Troy's foot come out on the ladder and push it over while I was almost to the top. I almost made it. And yeah, I uh, took a pretty good fall and hit some HVAC conduit and opened up, you know, my eye and had a a shiner that went from my chin to my scalp, you know, and so figured we'd have some surgeries on that, and uh, doctor said, you know, my eye, my my eye still is smaller than the other one because of the damage, but um, nothing was broke, and he said we might have to do surgery in a year, and ended up not having to do anything. I just healed the way I was supposed to.
0: So... He kicked over the entire ladder while you were
1: on it. Yeah, while I was at the top. (laughs) You just
0: rode it all the way down, backwards?
1: Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure I was about seven years old, and I'm sure I held on for dear life or whatever, and when I hit the ground, uh, I don't remember a whole whole lot, the experience. I got a lot of good pictures my parents took, and uh, I knew my uh, brother Troy knew he was in a lot of trouble at the time for doing something that silly, but a lot of trauma that way, but my parents, good parents, they took good care of me.
0: How long did it take you until they said everything was okay?
1: Um, I believe it was months, you know, of course that big of a, a shiner on my face and the damage to my eye, it was, it was several months before getting back to normal as a young kid, but it wasn't until two years later, I believe, that they took me back to see what kind of damage internally and if I'd have to have surgery, but never lost any eyesight with it and it was all uh, just external. The way my eye looked, mostly in pictures. It's crazy. Pictures are mirrors. Even to this day, when I look in them, it's smaller than what people say it looks like. So.
0: What hit your eye? Was it the ladder?
1: <clears throat> no, it was like you know the air conditioning conduit, something big, the metal, the old metal ones. You know, okay. this was in the 70s, and uh, just some big piece of metal that ended coming down on and hitting the edge of it. Yeah.
0: Wow. Well, you've got a ton of stories.
1: I do, yeah, I've got a lot of life experiences and whether they're uh, my stupid mistakes or others, but yeah, I've got a lot of a lot of good things to build a man from.
0: Well, we've got time, so all right. <laughs> one of the stories that you were telling me back when we were filming several months ago had to do with lightning, and I've never met anyone who has been struck by lightning. Why don't you tell us a little bit about about how life was for you at the time and and what took
1: place that day? Sure. I, I'm pretty sure when I talked to you, I had the two uh, out of order, but there was another life experience just two years before that, that kind of started straightening me out a little bit as far as what my future looks like and what my purpose here is on this on this earth. But uh, the lightning one, we my wife and I had just barely, um, we built our own house in Laverick and her and I, and just barely moved in, not very long. and. I was laying in the driveway working on our, our van at the time. And as I was laying there, you could hear lightning and thunder. And, of course, like I said, some of these mistakes are my own uh, stupid self, which I shouldn't be out working on a vehicle in thunder and lightning, but I was just because I was self-employed. You do what you have to when you, when you can. So laying underneath that vehicle, I could see the lightning strike right right really close to me. So I believe if I would have been directly hit, you know, I, I probably wouldn't be sitting here. But it was enough to where you could feel, you could feel it. There was no mistaking it. And it's one of those where you see and hear it instantly because it was within, I'd say, 50 to 70 feet striking. And because I was laying in water, uh, the rain or the wet ground, and I was a conductor working on my vehicle laying on my back, I had my left arm touching the vehicle and that's where it conducted through my body. And uh, I I remember about nothing from that point to where I walked into the house, you know, which was about 20 feet. I was ran, I guess I should say, I was running into the house trying to decide what just happened, you know. And I, uh, as I walked in, my wife thought I was on fire because of the moisture that was on me. And then that much electricity going through your body, it was instant steam, the way I can describe it is if I stood up against, like, a block wall and somebody took a sledgehammer to your shoulder, your rotator cuff, and I didn't have any filling in my shoulder for at least three hours, couldn't move it, didn't know if I'd ever would again. You know, it could have been uh, melted together for all I knew. But we uh, we knew, we talked. My wife asked if I was okay Did you know, black out, whatever it was. And no, I didn't. Um, pulled out my cell phone. It had been fried, you know, just from that current that runs through my body and on me and my uh, digital watch, nothing, you know. Sure wished I would have saved that too. That would have been a great uh, plaque builder, wouldn't it? And uh, eventually I got the feeling back into my arm and uh, suffered for a while, maybe a week or so, and came out of it and all I know is I was supposed to learn something from that because I was still alive and no uh, no ill effects from it.
0: And you said that you did not go to the
1: hospital. <clears throat> No. With two new babies, two new young ones and paying up front for hospital bills and pregnancies and self-employed, there was no way we could afford it. So we just thought we'll sit here, talk through it, wait, you know, whatever it was at the time and see, do we need to call 911? And, you know, I was like, I'm okay. You know, I was in a lot of pain, but I knew it was in my shoulder. So what do you do for that? You know, except wait it out. So no, we just decided that we'll go see when we can, you know, do a doctor's visit, but not an emergency room, you know, ambulance. Um, This is in the 90s, which, you know, it was expensive, especially when you're a new family starting out, self-employed as well.
0: And what were you doing at the time?
1: Um, I had a garage door business. I started one in uh, 1991 when I came up with my brother, ended up taking that over, and then at the time I'd just recently bought a garage door business I was working for.
0: So when you went in, I'm sure your wife was panicking as well. Sure. Two new kids. What was what did she do? Like what was her first reaction?
1: It's a good question. You hear the thunder, you know, the crack, the house shakes. It's a small house, you know. I'm not really sure what she thought, but I could tell on her face she was in confusion. Like I'm on fire was her opinion. Or I'd just been because I'm smoking, which technically was steaming at the time she didn't know better, so just the panic on her face yeah it was it was scary um for her. It was hard for me to even reflect on what it was because I was in pain for so <laughs> for so long at that point I almost instantly i I know what happened you know it, it, it's no it's a no brainer I was touching a metal vehicle and that lightning hit, and I know I conducted, and so you know you just go through your mind like, all right, when am I when am I blacking out? When am I dead? <laughs> you know, and none of it happened. So just that's kind of hard to know exactly how she felt or did until later. And that's when she told me, Yeah, I thought you were on fire when you came through the door. And, yeah, and then we, you know, afterwards talked about how did it go through your body. You know, it didn't matter. We once we realized my phone and my watch both were fried. I mean, then you know that's some pretty good, pretty good voltage going through your body.
0: So we have this lightning story. Let's go to the other experience that you had that was life-changing for you.
1: Yeah, just a couple years before that, because I was self-employed at the time, and uh, I was working with my brother-in-law in in, uh, Mesquite at the Overton Power Company and installing garage doors. This was a great job. I was uh, doing some piecework for another company. And the door was 20, I believe it's 24 feet wide by 20 feet tall, which is, if you know measurements, that's a massive door. Um, your standard door is 16 wide, 7 high, just, and you can stick two cars in it. So this is one of the biggest doors I've ever done, even to date. And while we were working on that, my brother-in-law, we were finishing up the install, and I had him run me up on a forklift. We had, which was one of these dumb moves that you do... You put, uh, you know, the pallet on the forks and then you stick a piece of plywood on that. And of course, that piece of plywood overlaps that pallet by two feet on each side, which I've never made that same mistake. So as he hoists me up 20 feet tall so that I could reach up to about 24 or 25 just to clean the the roll of the door off, I uh, stepped out on that that wasn't supported and down I went 20 feet to the ground. uh, Backwards. Backwards, yeah. What I did is, as I knew I was falling, I reached out to grab the door, which is you know, like a mini storage door, it's a roll, and it was big enough that I couldn't grip it, couldn't reach around it, of course. And So once I did that, then I was uh, horizontal all the way down. So I knew that was one of my mistakes. I mean, maybe I could have just broke a couple of legs at the time if I'd have jumped off. But what I did was 20 foot fall on my back and landed on the cement. And, uh, I uh, wasn't sure if I was going to make it through that or not. I, You know that, you talk about being a dazed in your life, and um, I've never lost consciousness in my life, but I, I was waiting for that to, you know, to see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I was ready to walk towards it, and that's how much pain I was in. As I was laying there, my brother-in-law, his name's Leon, he comes over, and uh, instantly, you know, he's over me, and so I'm starting to see clearer, and he just kind of comforts me and says, just, just, Lay there. Just stay there. You know, I'll call 911. He's starting to ask people to call 911. And he uh, he was the calm for me, you know, because I started to realize what I'd done. And I'm sure he wasn't very calm, but he was acting it, you know, being able to see me fall like that and not knowing any better. I mean, people die for a lot less, you know, less falls. By the time uh, he realized, you know, keep me on the ground. So what, what, what do you need? What do you need, Tracy? What can I do? And I just asked him... Uh, can you give me a blessing? Can you pray for me? And he did, he grabbed another guy that was there and um, had a wonderful, wonderful blessing that it, I did feel comfort from it and I know that's what works. So I was able to relax a little bit more. I was still laying there when the first responder came. He was in a pickup truck, so what Liana told me later. and The ambulance was behind him a little bit. And the one thing that I've had nightmares and dreams and premonitions and all these memories about is hearing that guy's voice on the radio saying um how far out are you this doesn't look good you need to hurry pick it up and i'm like oh goodness you know like what's going on what's he seeing that i'm not you know and so got back to the panic mode but no the ambulance came and you know of course they take over you know strap me into gurney head me off to the to a hospital or a clinic at the time in mesquite and as they uh they come in they i remember them having to stand me up to get uh the x-rays it was some machine that you had to stand up in it wasn't like a CT where you can lay in it anyways it was enough pain that they said we're gonna have to send you to St. George so they loaded me up in an ambulance before my wife arrived and uh, I think we passed in the gorge if I remember right and so she turns around and heads back to the St. George Hospital where I was admitted and um, had my doctor that uh, oversaw it uh, my actual general practitioner came in took x-rays you know all through the hospital it was a it was a scary scary day and um
0: how much time had passed from the time you fell until you got to the hospital
1: the, it was probably 40 45 minutes before i got to the clinic and then by the time they figured out they can't help me there and loaded me in an ambulance it was you know in the afternoon by then which probably was a couple several hours maybe by the time we got to st george and admitted and everything. So, uh, still at that point, you know, we didn't know what was going on, what I'd broken, if I was gonna live, anything like that. I was, it was a lot of pain, I know that. And uh, so, what do you do? But pray. You just pray for the best and hope for the best, and put your trust in those guys that are working on you. Those that team, they just kept me medicated, you know, painkillers, whatever I needed to do. And it was comforting to have that good of people working with you and for you. And my doctor ended up doing the x-rays, the scans, everything they could, and came back and said, you didn't break anything. You are okay. And I told him I didn't feel okay. And he says, yeah, you're in a lot of pain, and you might suffer the rest of your life from compressed discs or whatever it is. And I still do, but nothing's broken. Uh, they kept asking me, did you hit your head? You know, how did you not hit your head? What else what else is wrong? And I'm just like, I'm just in pain, you know. And so they were shocked and in awe that I hadn't broken anything. So much so that my general practitioner doctor, the family doctor that we had at the time, uh, when he told me I'm going to go home tomorrow, and um, which surprised me. I mean, he's like, no, I think you'll be okay. And um, the pain I was in, but by the next day I was good and I was ready to head home. And I told him that. He brought in three other doctors at the time, and he says, Tracy, this is, he introduced the people, all of them doctors, and they're friends of his. You know, it was like his group. And he says, these guys don't believe that you're walking out of here from your accident yesterday. And so I brought them in to make sure they saw that. And uh, what a what a what a lesson you learned from that to be able to think, think uh, you're showing doctors a miracle, you know, and, uh, the purpose of it. And I did, I walked out of the hospital they didn't have they didn't make you sit in a wheelchair at that time and he said you're free to go and we headed home
0: <laughs> so what do you credit to that miracle
1: <clears throat> well i'll i'll be honest i'm a very religious person and i i know god's got a purpose for me here on this earth and uh i credit it to the fact that he still needed me here uh looking back over those i know it was a wake up call and um if if i needed to you know, pass from this life. I know I would have, but I I really feel like it was a, the purpose, a higher purpose that I'm here.
0: When you were at this low point, tell us a little bit about that because we all hit a low point and some of them are more than others. Tell us about your low point.
1: Sure. So I would say my lowest point before my turning point would have been after my fall and before the lightning strike, which is about two years, but uh, not understanding what I'm doing in life, uh, all you do is try to react to your circumstances, good or bad. And at the time, you know i've like I've said we we were broke, young family feel like you know I'm letting my family down because I wasn't working as much as I needed to to be able to pay the bills. At the time, my wife and I, our favorite story is the fact that uh, now, because we're not broke, is the fact that we had to roll pennies to go buy milk and bread for four people in the family. And I'm like, you know, we build from that. And now it's like we can look back and laugh and say, we've done really well. Um, well. We don't have to roll pennies anymore. We roll quarters now. But the the low point is in between those two that I am still trying to figure life out as a young father and uh, self-employed, broke, trying to do that. Marriage, struggling like anybody when you're young and especially... Uh, self-employed and like, where's the next dollar? I mean, those are the fights is, uh, is the finances, you know? And so one night I just, I struggled so bad and I'm sure my wife and I were in a fight when I go back to my journal and reread my incident that I'm gonna share here. And uh, I just figured she's got good insurance on me. She's got good life insurance. So I think she'd be better off without me. And which is a crazy thought. Because life is too precious to throw it away with thoughts like that. So I go for a walk and uh, go down to the bridge, which is and Hurricane Boundary. And um, I thought, I'm just going to sit down and I'm just going to pray or visit or uh, whatever it was just to get through this. And, you know, I get out on that skirting and find myself with my toes hanging over the edge thinking, I think my wife would be better off without me. You know, we just got in a fight and those deep, deep, dark thoughts that creep into your mind, and um, I'm happy to say that was the only time that I had to go through that, and all I knew was it wasn't the answer, that I need to reach out, I need to find happiness, I need to change the things I'm doing, and uh, of course, you know, I back away and cry and head home and apologize to my wife, which we're coming upon 32, 33 years of marriage, and um, obviously we make it work even on those dark times and I still you know still trying to figure it out at that time until the lightning strike and then I'm like all right we, we need to make some changes here and that's what I reflect back on and are those dark times and uh, what changes me to make me a better person and to know that life is exciting it's happy uh, but I have to search for those things and don't go in those dark places which lots of people do and uh, that's what hurts it's uh, it's just deep hurt in me when uh, as an educator knowing people that commit suicide and that think about it and uh, we deal with it almost daily in the educational system and it just drives me uh, to a deep hurt that i just can't control but i do my best to make sure that they understand how happy life can be and they it's okay to have issues and traumas placed upon you but don't let that control you learn from them and move on and find the happiness that you're supposed to in this life
0: i think in life we all try to avoid being uncomfortable and when you get in those really dark areas of life it's uncomfortable and we start thinking things to get us out of them whatever that is and the thing we forget is that's where our growth comes from if you had never had those two experiences and the others in your life you would be a completely different person than you are today and even those struggles rolling pennies you know they they sound like great stories now but at the time I you know there was a time when my wife and I didn't have any money left we only had a few dollars. There was a story of my great grandmother that they were out of money and they stopped and got an ice cream cone for a nickel or something like that. And I just said, you know what? Let's go get an ice cream. <laughs> and I don't know how we got out of that. You know, it was extremely stressful at the time. We went and got an ice cream and somehow things worked out. Sometimes we just need to take a step back from those dark areas, whether it's calling someone or going and buying an ice cream. Get away from that situation and get help because there's always somebody willing to help you. I think about, as you were telling that story, I think about all of the people that you've influenced since that time. You may have saved other people that you're not aware of. And if you weren't here, that never could have happened. Life is hard, but it's meant to be hard, and it's meant to be difficult because that's where we grow. We don't grow from the easy times. We grow from the difficult times in our trials. What would you say to people who are in those dark areas, and how, how can they get out of them?
1: I would suggest find someone to talk to, whether it's your significant other spouse you need to talk about it and only lately in my life have i realized how important that is that that kind of a support system i have men across the u.s that we're in a text group we've gone through a program to where we realize we're not alone and everybody's problems seem worse than yours thank goodness when we start to talk about it and help them that would be my suggestion is to reach out and find someone like I have. I was fortunate enough to find a group that's been a great program we went through. And when we struggle, we send a text, group text, saying, hey, got five minutes, and there's all kinds of phone calls coming in, and we talk through it, it's all it takes. We don't talk about the problems, not always. Sometimes we do, we walk each other through the issues, but sometimes you just need to hear a friendly voice, that you know they've been through it and they understand what uh, you're going through with no judgment. That's one of the benefits of that communication. Find somebody that won't judge you. Uh, and that's usually when you kinda uh, draw closer to those that have gone through it. How are you gonna judge somebody for the same thing that you've been through, the struggles you've been through? It means a lot to be able to call strangers at first, you know, your own brother and uh, that they love you and they support you. and. Then I fall back to my brother, my own brother Tony, and uh, we communicate all the time. It's people like that that understand what you're going through for certain traumas, and that's what may save your life, and that's what saved my life. That was the turning point in my life, was uh, uh, after the lightning strike. It took me, you know, that, like I said, that was two years before the lightning, and, you know, you start to wonder what am I learning from these experiences? And I couldn't tell you. It's hard to tell you when you're in the situation. But when you have something like that, a 20-foot fall, and then two years later, lightning strikes you or shocks you, it's, uh, you start to self-reflect on these kinds of things, thinking, all right, what, what's going on? Because this is not normal. I mean, what are the odds of a, a lightning strike survival? And you know, I start asking myself that. What are the odds of falling 20 feet and walking out and showing four doctors a miracle you know, happening? And so I start to wonder, what, is, what are the odds? And what am I here for? And what am I supposed to be doing? And that's what started to reshape my life and give me hope, you know, at the time. You just, you struggle, you know, I'm a new father and there was a lot of, there's a lot of struggles for new fathers and financials and marriages and trying to hold it all together and self-employed and broke. I mean, the list can go on, everybody can relate to them. So I start to wonder why, what, what was it for?
0: What kind of things have you thought the reasons were behind you surviving these things?
1: Yeah, my uh, I've had a lot of years to decide that and try to share my story as much as possible, and only until the last couple of years have I been able to really nail down what what my purpose is and why. But looking back, that was the turning point from being self-employed and broke, you know, and I'm not saying you're broke just because you're self-employed, but at the, for us, that's how it was working. And I believe uh, where I'm at currently in my position in life whether it's religious or you know professional to where I was supposed to be heading and I wasn't heading that direction so I believe uh, this was a really good wake-up call and I instantly um, my wife and I decided you know go to college at the time you know in the 90s and that's what you do you go to college in the 2000s you know and it was a good good place for us at that point no one in my family in history had graduated from college um on either of our sides, my wife's side or mine, and so we're like, we just didn't even know it was an option at the time. So, I went back and got educated so that I could come to the field where I'm at now and uh, be able to help other people. I believe this is this has been placed upon me so that I can do what I'm supposed to do, which is serve other people.
0: And right now, you're serving in a lot of areas. You're serving in your church. You're serving in your school. So, how would you say that those ended up being a blessing in your life?
1: Well, I don't believe I would be the person I am today, which is forgiving. I don't believe in shame. I don't shame people. I don't judge. I mean, of course, we're all imperfect, and I have my moments, but by being able to do that and going into education, um, not just teaching a religious youth group or uh, education, public school education, it's my friends, my family setting the example of going back to college, that you can serve other people and help people. Um, I believe that's exactly like, I don't believe I would have been on that route if I wouldn't have actually stepped back during this trauma and said, what's going on? I think I still would have been in a construction field with just my little bubble of seven children and my wife and myself and uh, not serving anyone else. And I don't think that's our purpose on this earth
0: you have these huge life experiences and you had many others that some that we've talked about, and I'm sure a million that we haven't after you've had all these experiences, as we all do, life doesn't just become perfect, right? We learn our lessons and at times we might think that we're on the right path and then we get hit by another, another trial or another difficulty in our lives. And I know that we talked about your, your brother, you know, Pushing the ladder down, and later on, you had some trials with with your brother. Tell us a little bit about. Tell us about him.
1: You bet. So my brother Troy, he liked to. uh, He he would say he's he he was a jokester growing up. I call him a bully, <laughs> lovingly call him a bully, uh, like brothers do. And I was his punching bag, and he'd see how how high he could lift me up on the wall. Be you know while he's. Uh, flexing his muscles, and that was just my brother. He was a weightlifter, you know. He set records in high school in Las Vegas, which is impressive for, you know, high schoolers and someone from my family, which we're all short. But my brother Troy, he he liked to uh, flex his muscles, mostly on me is how I felt, and uh, loved him dearly. I got along with him as best as I could, but not until we were older and we were adults and both married to where... We had a really good relationship, uh, which goes for most of my family. You know, The the men in my family don't open up and didn't have good relationships growing up, even if we lived all in the same area. We loved each other and we knew it, and that was good enough. But once we're adults, then we hang out. You know, and We have more stuff in common. And the last um, you know, 10, 15, 20 years that we've lived in Utah, uh, my brother moved up just before me in 1991. And then I followed him. He found me a job, or at least a job opening that I went and applied for, and uh, we lived within 10 miles of each other for the rest of our lives. And uh, Troy, uh, not a healthy person after high school, you know, with uh, a lot of issues, diabetes and thyroid cancer, and uh, eventually um, pancreatic cancer, which took his life last February, and... You know, I'm I'm glad that I had the time that I did with him, and I'm glad that we could forgive each other for the stupid things we did as brothers to each other and fighting and pushing me off a ladder when I'm young, you know. Those are great building experiences, and that's just part of life. But yeah, I struggled. I did struggle with my brother passing. He's, he was only a year or two older than me, and it just doesn't seem like that's a full life, you know, your early 50s when you're you're passing on and leaving girls at home and your wife and so yeah, like I told you, it's a it was a rough time, and we just barely got through the one year death anniversary, and um, about eight months in to that anniversary when he passed, uh, my parents had um, a headstone that they'd purchased, and before that I'd I'd visited once the graveyard, and you know I, I love to visit with my brother. I I say hi to him every morning when I drive by, and. I can see his headstone still while I go to work every morning. I say, how you doing, brother? Love you, you know, as I go by. But I struggled uh, to visit more than that. Uh, My parents had asked me, have you seen the headstone? And I'd say, yeah, but I'd only seen it from the road as I'm driving by. Death is not easy for me. I I don't want to talk about it. I don't like funerals. I've sat outside on funerals, and when I can get the strength, I go in, you know. But then to lose someone as close as my brother that I love so dearly, it's hard. I felt that I could remember him better by not visiting him so i've gotten I've worked through that you know, and he's a he was a Las Vegas Raiders fan and had a hard time watching Raiders games, you know since he's passed but that's just human nature that's the things we go through, but it's made me a better person just knowing and knowing him and honoring him now by uh, enjoying the things that he would enjoy most in this life.
0: What are some of the ways that you were able to? Death is such an interesting thing because we will all experience it at some point, and yet it's probably the one of the hardest things to deal with. There's illnesses and sicknesses as well, but death will come to all of us, and it's it like you said it's it's difficult to process. What what things worked for you? as you were trying to process?
1: Being able to identify that you can't go through anything in life alone. Um, like I said, my family is everything, my wife, my children. But, you know, being, talking to a spouse, men don't talk to spouses. They just don't open up. That's just, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to say human nature, but it's more common than not that men do not share feelings and I know women like to talk, you know, and my wife says I don't get even 100 words in some days, and she gets thousands, which I get. So the one thing that actually helped me with my brother, Troy, was my our oldest brother, Tony. And I found someone that I could talk to that understood, that has gone through the same thing that I have. So for this one life experience, traumatic experience, I found somebody that understood and I reached out, and he's reached out, and we'll call each other. And for ever since Troy passed away, he, we text and say, Morning, brother. How you doing? Good day? Bad day? Um, if we're having bad days, we just call, and we don't have to say a word. We just understand, and we've had lots of lunches. Uh, he lives in Las Vegas, but works here most of the week. And we'll sit down, and that's what we do is we talk. So one of the biggest things that I know that will get me through the rest of my life and that I want to share with people is communicating. I've always said communication or the lack of it is what will be, what will be the death of you, and with not you, your happiness. So to be happy, you have to talk about your traumas. You have to reach out and work through it. And my brother Tony has helped me tremendously. He's saved me.
0: You and I talked. I have a sister that passed away when I was young. But as you get older too, you you have those memories and you have people that you can talk to. And I think with death, I think one thing that we forget is everybody, most of the people that you see in your life have experienced somebody passing away. And if not, they will. There's always somebody to talk to as we reach out and communicate, as you said. Sometimes it's the hardest thing to do is to communicate. We all process it different. Some of us try to hold it in, some of us don't like to talk about it, and some of us like to talk about it. And sometimes the situations, you know, it varies with each situation, but I think it's important to remember that we all have someone in our lives, if we look around, that has experienced something similar that we can talk to, and even if they haven't, we can reach out to them. Absolutely. So going through those experiences and those your accidents and all of the things that you've experienced in your life, how do you think that prepared you for when your brother passed away?
1: I believe it gave me coping strategies. I mean, to be able to get through the trauma that everybody goes through in their life, whether it's a huge event like this, whether it's thrust upon you, whether you want it or not, whatever trauma you go through, you learn from it. If you don't learn from it, you need to. And so I, I know some of these experiences that I had hit rock bottom um, in between the fall and the lightning strike, it was probably my lowest time in life to where some of the thoughts that went through my head, it's just you think you're alone and you're not. You are never alone. There's always someone that has gone through what you're going through. And what has surprised me is how many people, once you start to open up, how many people share the same experiences. And if not the same experience, the same depression, anxiety, whatever it is you're going through, they understand. And as, as myself as a man, I didn't see that. You don't see that. You don't want to. You're thinking, oh, i got to be tough. I can't talk to my wife about these things. And many times I'd go home and have to go for another ride because i'm crying about you know losing troy and i i don't want my wife to see me like that i think oh i've got to be tough and no you don't you need to communicate and that's what i've learned from it people feel alone and they don't need to feel alone there's there's someone always going through it
0: tracy you've had all of these life-changing experiences what are you doing with those things now
1: i'm uh kind of Taking my experience, what, what I've been through, and trying to help other people. Um, I feel like that's the whole reason I go through these things. And I've, I've come through the other side, and I've seen the light at the end of the tunnel, and it's bright, you know, and it's happy. And so now I want to help, help other people. Specifically, you know my passion is that men don't talk, and that hurts their marriages. It hurts their intimate relationships, everything that way. And so what I'm doing now is concentrating on, um, getting men together in person in their local areas, mine specifically, that I'm trying to, um, get guys together to talk about their issues. And that sounds easy. It's not, I'm, I'm living proof that it's not an easy thing to talk about your insecurities and your faults because we're imperfect. Everybody admits that, but nobody wants to tell you why you're imperfect so what I'm trying to do is get uh, get going on uh, a small business, uh, a small group of men to be able to get together. And my idea is to, it's called the men's journey. It's it's focusing on letting men know that they're, they're safe when we get in a small group. And what they share stays in that group so that they don't have to worry about us spreading rumors or whatever it is that they worry about. And I did the same thing before... Um, I was participating in a men's group. What I want them to learn from that is just, is just to share their feelings, and talk about it so that we can tell you we understand, we care the same as you do, we've gone through it, and then have a support group after. It's, uh, it's just so important to know that you have that support because whatever we do in our group, we can talk about it and we can feel good about it, but my biggest fear is what happens when I'm alone. What happens after this, that's what I want to work on is for them to know, call me, text me. You're my brother. You are a brother. No matter who you are, you need to know how much you're loved. And I want them to know that there's a place you can go. And we're trying to get that organized.
0: And tell us again, the name of the group is Men's Journey. The
1: Men's Journey, yes.
0: The Men's Journey. Where can they get more information about?
1: They can email me at themen'sjourney@gmail.com. at gmail.com or they can give me a call. I give out my cell number to everyone and it's 435-680-8526.
0: All right, if any of you out there are looking for a good support group, contact Tracy. He's got a good program. He's got a lot of life experience. I can't help but think back at all the things that would have changed in your life had you stopped living at any of those points, um, especially at the bridge. You've had multiple kids since then You've served many people, hundreds if not thousands of people since then. Well, I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing all these thoughts and experiences and giving people hope. Again, it's important to remember that no one's alone. And you may feel like you're alone in that situation, as you said earlier, but you're not alone. And just a reminder that if you feel like you're not in that situation, look around and reach out to those around you. You never know who is in having a struggle or a bad day. Sometimes a simple text is all they need to see to keep them going. And if you're in those hard times, keep going. Like Tracy, you never know what your future holds if you keep going. You might be poor now, you might be having relationship problems, but in the future those things can be worked out. Everything in life can be worked out and they can be for your good. Final
1: thoughts? No, you're, you're spot on. You There's always better times ahead, and I'm living proof. I'm loving my life. I'm happy. Um, my marriage is absolutely amazing. My wife and I are best friends, and we don't hold anything back. And our relationship's great, because after all that that I thought I'd have to hold back, it's not. My spouse was number one. She is my number one support. So I tell her everything, and uh, we work through each other and we help each other because she's no different we all have our struggles so yeah, reach out find that person and make sure you talk about it do not hide it don't feel shameful talk about it otherwise that's you're losing <laughs> you want to be a winner
0: well thanks for coming on here uh, again reach out to all those around you find somebody that you can serve find somebody that you can bring some happiness to and know that the sun's always going to rise eventually the darkest storms still give way to the sun tracy's a good resource for you to contact and tell us that email one more time
1: it's the men's journey at gmail.com
0: all right thanks tracy you betcha we'll see you next week on another episode of overcome the story of you thank you for listening to this episode of overcome the story of you I hope you find strength and gain knowledge in your trials. Look for the miracles in your life at the end of every day. They are there. You just need to find them. You will find yourself in a higher place with greater perspective. It's then you'll begin to see what you've overcome and that this is the story of you. I will see you next week on another episode of Overcome the Story of You, brought to you by kingspeakrealty.com.